Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Hello, Elkshake Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up, everybody? Cool podcast today. Uh, we recorded this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were in Texas. Uh, we went down early. We being Dirk, the Bugler Durham, and Jeff Bynum, the fiscal fitness guy that comes to all the Elkshake camps. We went down uh, to Texas a few days early to try our hand at Audad Hunting but we weren't in Texas Audad hunting, uh, so you could probably figure out where we were. But we were hunting some public land Audad, and uh, Jeff set that up for us and never saw an Audad. It was a terrible hunt. <laughs> but uh, we ended up heading over to Texas a couple days early, uh, Corbin's Archery. Corbin connected us with a couple of buddies there, and Eddie, his friend, took us out uh, pig hunting at night, and... Uh, that's a thing, by the way, in Texas, and we we did that, and uh, I got to shoot a, a pig, hog, a boar, um, at about 11 p.m. using thermal uh, imaging and thermal scope, and uh, the guy driving had night vision on. It was crazy. It was cool. Great experience, and, and then Dirk shot one. Uh, I used the AR, and Dirk used an AK-47 with suppressors, of course, and it's just a cool experience, and then um, we had a day to... Uh, before camp started so we 
were drinking a few beers and hanging out and decided to do a podcast. And it's a fun one. Uh, you're going to hear some cool stories of uh, being afraid of the dark. Uh, you're also going to find out that Dirk believes in Sasquatch. And uh, we're going to go over Dirk's mountain lion hunt that he just did a couple weeks ago. It's a pretty cool story. And uh, bring you know just all of us together. And it's a fun little podcast. So definitely enjoy. Quick bit of business and we'll get right to it. So I uh, want to give a shout out to Vortexware. This is a company that I use their optics, their tripods, uh, their scopes, and I wear a lot of their gear to work out in. So if you're interested in checking out the Vortex Wear, use discount code ELKSHAPE and save 20%. want to give a big shout out to Wilderness Athlete, uh, hydrate and recover, load up on that. I have a scoop a day, literally every day, and it's got the branch chain amino acids and uh, just a really cool formula to stay hydrated, but also to make sure that you're repairing restoration uh, for all your training that you're doing because you're staying in shape. You're staying in elk shape, right? Don't don't uh, get into elk shape. Stay in elk shape. Northwest Attention Systems has a discount code of elk shape, which will save you uh, 10%. No shipping and handling. And that's the custom gun holster that I use. It's called the Scout. So check it out. Links are in the show notes for all these. Uh, Stowaway Gourmet. Discount code is ELK10. Save 10% off. Had someone message me yesterday and uh, apparently they didn't know about that discount code. So yeah, save some money there. Black Ovis. Discount code is ELK shape. Knock 10% off. Some exclusions apply, but check that out. Back to e-bikes. ELK shape 300. We'll get you 300 bucks off an e-bike. Uh, Numa Outdoors. Got a really cool YouTube video breaking down some of their gear. If you're interested, I think Numa is awesome. And uh, that's the hunting clothing that I'm wearing going forward. Discount code ELKSHAPE20 will take 20% off. Tag Hub for your e-scouting and tag allocation research. Check out Eastman's. They've been in the game longer than anybody. Discount code ELKSHAPE15 gets you 15% off. Elk Collective, virtual elk education, digital education, masterclass, if you will. That is the resource for getting better at elk hunting. while. Uh, away from elk season. So discount code ELKSHAPE podcast one word gets you $25 off. And so away we go. Also, I want to give a shout out to Kufaru for uh, hooking up every ELKSHAPE camp. That's been so huge to be able to give away some cool stuff. So thank you, Aaron and Frank and everybody and Dana, all my friends over there. And uh, right now we're just getting back from ELKSHAPE camp, Tennessee. uh, And then we're heading to Ohio, Marysville, Ohio at Attaboy's archery super stoked that's going to be the first of three camps in march we got boise and uh lancaster pa it's going to be a busy month uh and then we move into april we got denver and we got uh ogden utah and then we got spring bear season and uh it's going to be it's going to be a whirlwind so let's get into this podcast it's a long one but it's a fun one and uh sit back relax and enjoy with my homeboys jeff bynum dirk durham listen to the elk shape podcast What's up, guys? We are we're podcasting location Texas. Some say the greatest state in the union. Mm-hmm. Some I say the only state. The only state in the union. Is everything bigger in Texas? I think they just go grand on everything, man. I do know that Southern hospitality is alive and well here. We've, we've met some amazing people on this trip. It's been been good so far. Yeah, dude. So we got Jeff Bynum. He's the guy that goes to all the elk shape camps with me and teaches people how to quit being idiots with their money. <laughs> and uh, he's actually worked with me and my wife on our money. And it's okay to talk about money. Um, we might do that a little bit on this one today, but... What if you have no money? Well, we should talk about that. Okay. We got Dirk Durham, the bugler. Uh, hey there. The, the maverick. If you will. If you will. 
and we're drinking beers. And this is like the one day before camp that we can kind of kick it and you know stretch our legs out a little bit. So uh, we figured, well, we're we're saying some funny stuff. We should probably record this. So that's what we're doing. So I just want to apologize right now. Like whatever you hear is just could be the best stuff you've ever heard in your life or you could just lose a lot of respect for me and that's okay i, I kind of hope you walk away feeling a little dumber after listening to the, listening to this podcast like because i feel like that's kind of real life half the time yeah oh, no, this is a real beer. like yeah. i i like an ipa but what makes an ipa hazy um i have no idea um it's got to be in the the process they make it i mean filtering I, maybe it's not filtered um I don't know. We're drinking some Bat Squatch IPA by Rogue Breweries. It, not only is it delicious, it's got the coolest can, I think, in the industry. It's got they this really cool, cool uh, olden day horror film looking picture on it. It's super cool and it's delicious. This episode's not brought to you by Bat Squatch Beer from Rogue Breweries. They're out of Oregon, by the way. Are they? Yeah. Cool. Does Born and Raised have their own beer brand? No, that's that was somebody else that just happened to have that name, born and raised beer or whatever. Yeah, there's another ago. town. There's a brewery in my town in Spokane that makes one that says born and raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a different one? That's than, not them. That's yeah. not the same folks or any relation whatsoever. These yeah. guys are out of uh, Newport, Oregon. Oh, I've been there. Tuna fishing. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been tuna fishing? Yes. Yes, but like more like Alaska, not okay, okay. You know, lower forty-eight stuff. Yeah, how was it? It was not what I expected. So we got up and had to be on the boat at like three a.m. And I'm out. It was a really good buddy of mine, uh, Mark Chrisman, and there were some old farts on the boat with us. These old dudes. I'm like, geez, it's kind of weird, but I guess everybody likes to fish. So as we're going under this big bridge in Newport, we're leaving leaving the port, and you have to go up past under a new uh, this big bridge, and I hear. I look over and this old fart just cracked a beer at three o'clock in the morning. And he's like, <laughs> I've never been under this bridge without cracking a beer. And today I don't, I don't uh, plan on starting. So that's he, probably <laughs> why you didn't sink the boat. I mean, that's, that's the way to that's, set the right. tone. That's legit superstition. And right there. that guy, I don't know why. I mean, it was expensive to, to buy your way on this boat to go tuna fishing. I think I paid like 350 bucks, right? It was, it's a lot of money. And this guy, all he did was drink beer. He did not pick up a fishing rod. He just went along and drank beer the whole day. He got he was goggly eyed by the time we got off the boat. I, I'll tell you because it was all day. We went fifty miles out into the ocean. I had this uh, this little thing around my wrist for seasick seasickness. I had a little thing underneath my ear, behind my ear. I don't even know what these things are called, but you do it to keep yourself from getting seasick. A little thing behind your ear. And then I took a, a pill. I don't know it was a Dramamine or something, but my buddy, he's been uh, tuna fishing before. And he said, this is, this is like the perfect combination. So you don't get seasick. And I didn't really get seasick. And uh, it was funny because uh, we get out there and we get away from the mainland a bit. We went 50 miles out, but we just, we're starting to see the, you know, we're getting away from the mainland and the captain comes out and captain says, I've just got a couple rules you guys need to abide by, abide by. Okay. Okay. All right. None of you can drink any of my coffee. None of you can drink any of my donuts, donuts and keep the F out of my cabin don't be coming in there and hanging out in my cabin he turns around and he walks back in his 
and to drive to drive the <laughs> boat, I guess. And I'm just like, what? Roger that. I'm like, wow, that guy, he's next level. What? What's his deal? What? What's his problem? So as the day go progresses, we're fishing and we're catching fish, and uh, I, I kind of. I want to see what's inside the cabin. Why, why doesn't he want us in there? And there's a whole box of donuts and there's a whole pot of coffee. And he's, it, he's got this thing and, you know, it's a really nice cabin. You know, it's all nice wood and stuff. And it looks like, you know, something from a 70s porn film or something. It's, it's really. How do you know what a 70s porn <laughs> film is? Um, have you ever seen the movie Boogie Nights? Okay. Yeah. Dirk Diggler? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look that up. So I'm kind of peeking through the doorway. He's like, hey, come on in. I'm like, no, it's okay, man. I, I, I heard your speech. Uh, no, thanks. I'm good. He's like, no, no, no. Come in. I said, what's up? And he's like, not a lot. Hey, sit down. And he, super nice guy. I said, well, what's up? what's up with that big speech this morning? He's like, He's like, I don't know how many times I get people on the boat. They want to come inside the cabin and they want to sit in here and hang out. And before you know it, they're eating donuts and they're drinking coffee. Next thing you know, they're puking their guts out over the side of the boat. He's like, so I just, I act like a jerk like that. So people don't, so they have a good time actually. He's like, you can have whatever you want. He's like, but you'll, you'll get seasick and you'll have a, you'll have a horrible day on the ocean. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm good then. So he was super cool. And I, I spent a little bit of time in there. But I could tell what he was saying because inside there, you pretty in the rave, the the sea wasn't calm, and pretty soon I was feeling kind of weird. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling weird. I'm going back out. He's like, okay, come back in if you want anytime. But uh, it was cool. We saw dolphins and we seen like whales and we saw all sorts Seriously? of stuff. Yeah. What time of year was this? Uh, this was like July or August. Oh, August, wow. like the first week of August, I think. It was cold. My buddy's like, hey, make sure you bring some warm clothes because it's cold. Well. When I left home in North Idaho, it was 100 degrees. I'm like, yeah, whatever, candy oh, ass. Oh, no, the temperature changes like yeah. immediately. I thought I was going to freeze to death. Yep. I, I had a sweatshirt, and I, I had to buy a little jacket there at the at the fishing shop. And Anyway, it was super cold, but uh, the deckhand, he's like, so you guys uh, ready to do this? I'm like, heck yeah. He's like, well, last week we caught 64 fish. We, we boated 64 fish. And he said, it was a big group of like young guys, big, strong guys. And, and he said, by the end of the day... By the end of the day, guys wouldn't pick up the poles. We were hooking fish, and they're like, hey, fish on. I'm like, I'm not doing it. You do it. He said, the guys wouldn't reel them in. I'm like, hey, if we catch 64 fish, I'll reel in every one of them if I have to. He's like, great. Good to hear. You're You're good to hear. So (laughs) first fish we catch. He's like, hey, you. Hey, tough guy. Get over here and reel this fish in. I'm like, all right. So I grab all this pole. This pole is really short, and it looks like big around as a broomstick, right? He's like, all right, just start, start horsing. So lift up and then reel your way down, lift up, reel reel your way down. I'm like, okay, cool. Watch this. (laughs) I felt like I was trying to reel a piece of plywood off the bottom of the ocean that was swimming away from me. I've never. It's a good description. It was, it was incredible. I had no idea it was going to be so hard. And it wasn't like, you know, a minute or two. It was like 10, 10 minutes of like reeling for all I could do. And it, that thing would get close and then just it'd strip line again. Albacore? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think like so. Like 20, 30 pounders? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And my, my forearms were cramping up. And I'm just like, <laughs> I felt like a woman in labor. I'm oh just like, gosh. push, push. And I'm just trying to get this fish in. Finally, we get it landed. They gaff it. And they get in there. And he's like, yeah, go over there and bleed it. So they had like a tank. You throw your, your the, the fish in. You uh, cut its gills. You bleed it all out so you get all the blood out of it. And then once it 
gets it done flopping and bleeding, you put it in the ice. He's like, how was that? I'm like, <laughs> I hope we don't catch 64 fish because it was just me and my buddy and the rest were a bunch of old timers. And there was no way they were going to reel in fish. So we caught, uh, I think we caught 37. Oh, and my, yeah. me and my buddy, we landed Split all them it. things. Yeah. We, we reeled in oh, every man. one of them stupid things. And, uh, dude, were you sore after oh, that? Oh, dude, I was, I was shot. Wrecked. I was wrecked. It smoked yeah. your lower back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just felt thing. like I just got the crap beat out of me. Yep. And plus just be, being out in the ocean, you, you know, it's not real hot, but you have that sun and you have to like, it, it, it wears on you. And by the time we got back that afternoon, then, um, the, the deck hand comes out. He's like, well, here's how it works. You know, everybody on here, we all split the catch. So me and my buddy didn't split 37 fish, everybody on the boat, including the captain and the deck hand, which is fine. I mean, how many tuna do you really need? So, yeah, I get it. So, uh, I think I got like six fish. We all got six fish each or each or something. Anyway, there was a guy up on the docks. I'm like, I don't even know how to clean a tuna. I'm like, I'm going to ruin this. And where we got off the boat and there's a, a gentleman up on the docks that was cleaning fish and you should have seen him. He looked like Zorro or, or a ninja or something. He, he had, a, he had on this glove, you know, that you can't cut yourself and his, his hand and his I knife. I one of those when I'm yeah. getting an elk out. Oh or, yeah. Someone literally sent me a message on Instagram. Like, Hey, have you ever considered wearing one of these when you're working on an elk? I'm like, no, but I probably should. It kind of looks like a Michael Jackson glove. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would only wear one. <laughs> but a little more protective. Well, the, the king of pop did. I mean, why I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> so this guy is just putting on a clinic and just... It was amazing. I, I don't know how, how he had any fingers. I guess he had that nice glove, but that guy's knife, he would grab a, grab a tuna. From the time he grabbed it to the time he took it and threw the bones over the side, his knife didn't stop moving. He didn't like look. He just went just his hand was just back and forth faster than you could see what he was doing. And he had those, those tuna fillets off that thing in just a matter of seconds. And it, it was kind of expensive. It was like 48 bucks to have, I paid him to do it, but money well spent. I mean, I would have paid him $140. I mean, he was amazing. So, but that guy, there was people lined up. He made bank all cash money, probably under the table good for him. Yeah. Is that good financial, Jeff? Like money under the table? What are your thoughts on Ooh, that? I always like to have a little little mailbox money, a little cash. Mad money, if yeah, you Yeah, a little gun money in the safe. Um, what about uh, disposable income? Is that a thing? Disposable that, income. Disposable little, income. What do you think about like that? Side, side hustle money? Is that, what's I that mean, what that is? Not disposable. It's uh, disposable. The stuff you can spend that your wife can't get mad about. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because she don't know because she um, got that stash. <laughs> I I think it's better if you know. That is my advice. It's better if your spouses know. But yeah, I think you both need a little bit of disposable money because yeah. I guarantee you there is shit that my wife buys that if it, if I see it coming out of our normal account, I'm just like, we bought what another stupid vase with a rock or what is this? And uh, and I feel like we throw that stuff away all the time. And if she sees what I spend on hunting gear, yeah, it's the same thing. Oh, she's mm. like, you already have that. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah didn't think I, about that I, I, I will be honest. I spend way more money than my wife. Like I am the spender. Yeah. In my relationship. Yeah, me too. My yeah. wife, she's like, she's super tight with money. Yeah. Never buys anything for herself. Um, which yeah. is great. 
Because yeah. then I can spend more on me. When we got, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell her I said that. When we got married, I was flat broke. She was she had like twenty five thousand dollars in savings uh, and drove like an eighty four Volvo. I had a finance truck. Like it was. <laughs> You're like, what's up? Yeah. You want to take me out? Tonight? I was. I was. I was living it. Yep. Oh, dude. Yeah. Well, we we need to hear about what what Dirk spends his money on. Like, I want to know what. Dirk, just what things are you like? Like, for example, when it comes to like a piece of hunting gear or something that uh, I feel like I'm going to use and I need, um, and I wouldn't put camera stuff in that same category, but let's just say anything elk hunting gear related, money's really no object. And what I'm not, it is obviously, but I'm like, oh. He's just saying that because I'm looking Let's at him get in the that. eyes. And uh, I, I don't ask for things for Christmas. I'm the hardest person to buy for because if I wanted it, yeah. I got it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I probably buy more big, bigger ticket items versus like a bunch of cool little things. Like, no, I, it's got to have like, I got to be using it right away or put it to you. So I could go through some stuff that I bought. But what do you, got, what do you guys like? Yeah, you just described me to a T. Um I don't really buy anything unless it's like hunting related. Like I don't, I'm not into like fancy crap on my truck. I'm not on into like, um, toys too much. I mean, my toys that I do have, whether it's dirt bike, four wheeler, razor, those are tools, um, for hunting, for hunting to get for (laughs) hunting or scouting, you know, um, for instance, um, broadheads, I bought broadheads, right. I didn't care what they costed which I'm not going to, I didn't buy the most expensive things out there, but I'm just like, you know, I'm going to buy these ones and that, I have my mindset on, I'm just going to buy them. Um, but man, it seems like the, what I spend my money on is just the same old, same stuff, just more equipment, more, more stuff to, to make my, my passion go around hard drives, you know, <laughs> you know, just the super unsexy, unfun type of stuff. Um, a real nice bow case. Um, whatever, whatever it is, you know, the, you know, the, a lot of people think, oh, you guys just get everything for free, but that's not necessarily true. You know, we do get a lot of nice perks being in, you know, working, doing some stuff in the industry, but we still got to buy stuff. And, um, clothes is not one of those. Right. I seriously don't know the last time I went and bought clothes. Honey and so clothes? when these pants and shorts and shirts run out, I'll be out of clothes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's one perk is shirts. Not- yeah, I don't buy anything. <laughs> I've got a closet full of shirts. I couldn't wear if I wore them every day for a month. I wouldn't wear every one of them. How I mean. much? How much shit do you guys get for baseball hats or ball caps? So I started not. I, I have a collection that's pretty. <clears throat> so every brand I work with or have ever worked with, mm-hmm. I probably have five different hats for yeah. that brand. Yeah. Um. So obviously, when I don't work with the brand anymore, Goodwill or whatever, but. I like a lot of hats and I like to wear a different hat just about every day. You know what I mean? But there's always like that one go-to, like if you saw that black Matthews hat, it's pretty, oh, I'm wearing it right now. Yeah. This thing's pretty beat up, yeah. but I love it. That's a good looking hat. Yeah. I like it. It's classic. It's a good hat. Um, I don't know, man. I'm pretty particular on hats and I know Dirk is too. Like Richardson 112s versus 115s. There's a difference, a significant difference. So you're a hat guy. What do you like? Yeah. I like hats. And I like to purge my hats. I mean, or if, if I didn't have, purge my hats every so often, I would be like, I don't even know where I'd put all my hats. And and I like, I'll, I don't need to have, get a free hat. I'll, I'll 
happily buy one. If I like a hat, I'll buy it. And then I got a, well, I used to have a buddy when I lived in Orfino that he got all my hand-me-down hats because he was like, hey, you got any hats, man? I'll take anything you got. So <laughs> that, cool. that was a nice outlet. But but uh, That's what my nephews are for. But that that's always been like, I, I loved cool hats. I liked seeing other people's hats. But, oh, man, that's cool. That's a cool idea. And then, you know, producing some of my own hats, I really like doing that too and just like kind of put coming up with new ideas. And and uh, I, I, I like to I like to like – keep my mind busy with those kind of little tasks. Like my wife probably was like, what's he think about all the time? It's probably elk hunting. But a lot of times I'm like, man, if I could get a really cool hat design, a really cool shirt design, because I love hats and t-shirts, whether I don't care whose they are, if it's a cool looking hat or t-shirt. Um, so I'm always, I'm, my old gears are always turning on that stuff. Yeah. You do have good ideas on shirts. You definitely know you have an eye for it. I remember when we were making elk collective stuff, you were like really particular on what you did and did not like. And you, I, that's good to know kind of what, what is your go-to like <sighs> Sunday attire? You know, you're at home, you're chilling, you're not going to go anywhere. You're chilling. You're going to be hanging out with your wife, telling jokes on your phone. What are you wearing? Okay. So you're probably going to laugh. So it depends on time of the year, but uh, wintertime, I'm going to have on these uh, coach looking pants you know, the ones that are made out of like uh, synthetics and they got the little white stripes down the side. Uh, maybe semi lady killers, you know, they zip up about to the knee. Ooh, uh, soccer. Yeah. But you need zippers yeah. around the knee because you can't get a lot of pants around those calves. Yeah, my yeah, calves are big. Have you measured them before? Uh, I did, but I don't remember what it was, but they're big. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, and those, those, those uh, fat man pants, I like to call them. Those probably came from like a thrift store somewhere because they're like nice brand, like Adidas or Nike oh, yeah. or something. Good Lord, you'll pay 60 bucks for those brand new. Uh, there's no way. I'll pay six bucks at the thrift store for them, but I'm not paying that kind of money. I'm, I don't pay 60 bucks for nothing unless it's hunting pants yep. <clears throat> because I'm going to use them in a, in, a, in a task. And nowadays that could get you maybe one leg. One leg, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you bought them on clearance or something. Yeah. The camo fire or something. Yeah. Um, uh, wintertime sweatshirt, you know, um, summertime t-shirt. Do you like to tear the top of a sweatshirt or do you like? No. Like, are you ever tempted? No. You're like, God, this thing's tight. I just no. want to. No? Okay. No, my buddy Trent, he will not put one on. You gave him a brand new sweatshirt. He's like, okay, cool. He'll pull his knife out and he'll cut about a four-inch cut right there because he don't <laughs> like how, you know. Well, he's also the thickest broadest lumberjack yeah. you've ever seen that, in your life that man is a bear <laughs> wonder how many pounds of lean body mass he has like i think he probably weighs two and a half pounds per inch which don't do the math it's that's a thick dude he's yeah. like a linebacker right right he is a powerful he's man a shit brick house yep yeah i would never make him mad no and i never uh yeah no. it's good he's so easy going yeah mm-hmm. yeah i don't think people understand like from youtube how it's just thick there's not Burly. a soft part on that man at yeah. all, except, except his heart. Heart. He has got the biggest heart yeah. of probably anybody ever. Made. No, I think that does come on their videos. Like that comes through big time. Uh, like all those guys seem super cool, yeah. but they definitely want. If I had to pick, like I obviously know them, and I've known Cody the longest, but yep. I'd want to hang out with Trent. Yeah, for sure. And you yeah. guys have really good on-screen chemistry. Like, yeah, some of that. It's just fun to watch you guys kick it and tell jokes. It's easy because. He's he's got the same weird brain I've got, and then he thinks you know he still thinks farts are funny, just like me. I'm we're both like fourteen year old boys. Uh, Who farts know. the most out of us three? Out of us three, <laughs> uh, 
<coughs> Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Well, Jeff's... if you guys would feed me right, Dan's trying to stuff me full of all this green cabbage bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me some bread and cheese. Well, it's I'll not like okay. you're the only one farting. Like, I'd say we're all pretty good at farting. I, I, I mean, I'd say it's probably five to one. Yeah. Five yeah. to one. Yeah. Well, there's time. There's time for us to catch up and yeah. tip those hogs. Drink a few more beers. We'll yeah. see what's going oh, on tomorrow. Oh, yeah. IPAs? Yeah. yeah They'll make some, you fart. There's yeah. some toots tomorrow. Um, I want to talk about, like, like, why do you come to these camps? Like, ultimately, like, what was it about this formula of disguising oh. personal <laughs> development yeah. into, uh, oh, come to the Elk Shape Camp. I'm going to teach you how to kill some elk, which we will, but... You guys all know, like, I'm. we're trying to create development, personal development at this camp, and money is a huge thing that no one likes to talk about. So I want to hear your thoughts on why do people not like to talk about money, and how, what's your role at this camp? Uh, so I, I heard it through a client um, that's best friends with a guy that needs to be my client, and his biggest fear is he doesn't want to be told what to do. And I think that... I think the industry has taught people like, oh, you get a financial advisor, they're going to tell you how much money you can spend and all this type of stuff. And like at the end of the day, I've had enough financial failure in my life that I wish someone would have came beside me and said, hey, this is the path that you're on. This is where it's going to take you. And then let me make my own decisions. If I want to choose to go down that path, so be it. And and so, um, you know, I, I started working in the outdoor industry about five or six years ago and, uh, I really kind of looked at this because I hate the financial services industry. It just pisses me off. It's full of just how to make institutions and advisors rich and not really look out for the best interest of people. And I looked at it and said, you know, there are so many good people out there that love hunting and fishing, have a career in the hunting and fishing industry that are going down the same paths that we've been told to go down that really are not taken where they think they're going to be. And, and so if I can come in there and help people look at the decisions they're making and and see the math and science behind it, oftentimes people will realize, oh, maybe I should hold off on paying off my house for a couple of years so that I can have the seed capital to start my own business or the seed capital to buy an investment property that's going to spend off enough money to cover my hunting cost every single year or all these different things. And so by bringing kind of that different perspective, it, it, uh, it, it helps people to kind of look at the common decisions that we're making every single day and avoid the pitfalls that exist for us out there. But you did a survey on Instagram. Yeah. And you said, hey, I want to know what you spend on hunting every year and send me real figures. Like, grab a calculator and add it up. Get it. Get me close to your ballpark. I won't tell your wives or your significant others. And you got quite a few responses. What was the mean average dollar number? Yeah, so if you took out, there was a couple uh, high rollers in there, and then there were people, like, you, you can break it into three categories. There's people that hunt multiple out-of-state trips every single year. you Dirk Durham's. Uh, that are not, like, it's not a business expense. There's those of you guys that are like, okay, this is a business expense. Right. I don't count those. But just people that are passionate about hunting that go on three, four elk hunts a year, go to Alberta, go to New Zealand. Like, they're in a different category. And then there's people that never leave the state. Like I buy my tags, I hunt deer on my lease, or I hunt out my backyard. But if you look at the rest of us, the guys that are trying to go on one or two good trips a year that you know are trying to get out of state, hit one of those popular states, it's in between four and six thousand. The the poll came back at fifty eight hundred bucks. Where's the most of that money going towards gear, 
Tags, travel, yep. combination. The three of those, gear, yep. tags, travel. And I think that it changes over time. I think that when you are when you are headed down this path of, you know, being a being an elk hunter, uh, there's a lot of gear costs involved up front. And you try Yeah, it's kind of a huge barrier of entry in yeah. gear. Yeah, you look at what's in your pack when you go out in the woods. I mean, it's not uncommon to have fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of crap that you're call- you're hauling around the woods. Really? Well, you look at, you know, you, if you take a spotter, a $3,000 spotter, and then $1,500 binos, and then $2,500 in a bow, and then a $600 pack, and $1,000 in camo, and $500 boots, and, like, it, it adds up quick. Yeah, it does. Um, so you got a $2,000 bow with accessories, or five to $10,000 rifle. It seems like nowadays for rifle guys, and I'm not a rifle guy, but it makes a lot of sense if I was to kind of, like, build a custom gun that's just what you do now yeah you know yeah and i think i mean for the rifle guys i do a lot of rifle hunting i know dirk you do a lot of rifle hunting um custom guns are cool but optics optics is what yeah, gets your you glasses where that yeah. money goes and every state's kind of pretty expensive nowadays to to go get a tag and and it's so hard to get a tag you're kind of willing to put some pretty good money out i know that when i first started hunting i was single and i had a separate account for tag allocation and it was upwards of $10,000, and I was like – it would be whittled down to $0 by the time tag season was done, waiting for tags to – you know, because states would hold on to your money and stuff because I was applying for everything I could. Yeah. Um, and you'd get most of that back because you don't draw. You don't draw, those yeah. you don't draw 95% of the stuff you put in for, you know. Um, and then there were services that would like, you'd pay them a fee and they would front the money. That didn't make sense to me at the time. So I just used my own capital, but yeah, it's, I could see like this wave of new hunters being like, holy smokes, this is $600 a pound elk meat. Yeah. <laughs> if I get one, well, you that's, know? that's ultimately like when we talk to the guys on Sunday, what I want them to walk away with it is, isn't, it's not inappropriate to live this way and to spend six or eight thousand or ten thousand dollars a year, depending on how much you bring in household wise. But you need to make sure that other areas of your life that you've organized yourself financially so you're not blowing up your future. Um, and that's that's ultimately what we're going to talk about is how do you how do you make smart financial decisions, uh, just like any other area, so that this is not this is you're you're not ending up in debt when the transmission goes out of your truck or you're not yeah you're not having to uh you know you're not having to live paycheck to paycheck so do you think you've worked with a lot of people throughout the years is the majority of people living paycheck to paycheck you know one of the most pleasant surprises about your community dan like you attract solid people um and I would say that you, you know, you, the people that follow you and look to you for advice and come to elk shape camps are people that are pretty serious about that, about being good fitness wise, being good archery wise, elk hunting wise. And I see some pretty good financial habits out of these people. Um, there's always room for improvement, but, uh, across the hunting industry as a whole, no, man, it's, it's, it's a wreck. They look like every other American out there. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of that whole premise of this camp is delayed gratification. Absolutely. That doesn't just mean killing an elk and working hard for it year round. It means like living in the right way. And we talk about that at camp. Well, Dirk had a good idea. He wanted to like peel back the layers and kind of talk about some kind of off the wall stuff, like scariest moments in the woods or what actually scares you in the woods and fear and things like that. And, 
some of the like the unsexy things that don't get talked about when hunting. Um, so, Dirk, what what are we going to talk about? Um, yeah, have you guys? Uh, you guys believe in Bigfoot? Oh, I am from Washington State. I mean, yeah. okay, maybe you don't really believe in it, but do you think there's a possibility? I would say, or are you just like hardline? No. I'm so practical that I can't come to grips with. I, I wish I could say yes, but there's just too many damn people in the woods and too many trail cameras, and no, uh, we would have no. But what if this? Okay, okay. Okay. What if this being is just like it's intelligent? Okay, it doesn't want you to see it. It doesn't want to be found. Look at mountain lions. How many mountain lions have you seen when you're hunting? Well, I'm. I've seen a few. It's a cat. Quite a few. It's a cat. Yep. I think I've counted it before. I'm over five that I've seen while hunting. But that's but that's just a lucky. kitty cat. That's but kitty what cat. if this is a primate that's smart? Look at the great apes. They're pretty smart. So is this Sasquatch Let, beast let's say be in the trees much? Like, is he make a living in the trees? I, I don't know. Does he? I always picture him in the northwest. Is he underground? Do they have I a, feel a like, tunnel system? I feel like being myself being so familiar with Idaho backcountry. Yeah. There's every possibility that it could be a Bigfoot. I'm not saying they're real, but there's it's a possibility because there's some pla- there's a lot of places in Idaho people never go, probably never been, just because it's gnarly, nasty terrain. Live up there, do their thing. They could come out and roam around all they want, and still nobody's ever going to see them or even see a track of them. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like it. Don't freak me out. I'm not like scared of them. Have you heard any Sasquatch sounds? I heard some tree knocking one time. Well, let's hear it. So I was elk hunting, and it was opening day before first light, and I was way down in this crap hole. And there's down in the very bottom of this place. It's not a place anybody is ever going to walk down and have a camp. It's just they're not going to do it. It's not that kind of country. But before it's getting light, then I hear this weird knocking down at the bottom knock 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 it was not like it wasn't some guy beating a hatchet on something it was not it was something hitting a big stick thing on another tree or something i can't explain it It that's and i don't know what it was but that would be the only thing i could think that it could be it didn't really seem like a place you would ever see a bigfoot because you know it's not super wildernessy but I I can't explain it, and what why would somebody in the dark before opening day of season in a horrible place that's like it'd take a lot a lot of effort to get there? Why would they be down there knocking on a tree? It's elk, opening day elk season, right? You're trying to be quiet at that point. I don't know if I've ever had a. Like a legit experience, but I, I grew up in Chihuahua, which is probably a lot like, you know, where maybe Trent grew up, where it's just all rednecks and loggers. Mm-hmm. And you talk to those old timers and they swear by it. It's just, it's common. It's just like, it, it's like, oh, do you believe in, you know, whole milk? <laughs> you know, right, it's just right. like, it is, it's absolutely normal. And, and so for me, I kind of grew up in that world that, uh, that is just like I assumed that they were real. Mm-hmm. And and so I think I probably had a lot of experiences growing up camping as a little kid that, uh, you know, whatever, scared myself into thinking they were. Right. But, well, besides anecdotal stories of people saying, I saw a Bigfoot, dang old thing was carrying a 
case of Kokanee gold. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the Kokanee commercial oh, yeah. that Bigfoot was carrying? Yeah. Uh, the beer. Anyway, um, if you look at, okay, l- let's look way back, okay? Back to early man in every single continent on this earth, there are people, there are drawings of a Bigfoot like person, whether they're in Asia, um, whatever continent there is, there, there's, you know, way up north in the snow and the Arctic and the Alps, whatever, wherever there's these, there's drawings, there's, there's these things. People are reporting these things. These people didn't talk to each other, right? This is back before they even sailed across the oceans in their ships and stuff. There's these drawings. There's, there's these reports of these things. Nope. How are they all making up the same boogeyman? Right? Yeah. That's the part that gets me. Like, I'm not saying, and who's to say they haven't died all died out now here in North America. I mean, I, I, we don't see them anymore. But we haven't found their fossils yet. Right. Yeah. But maybe we will. But uh, you talk to some professionals. Um, my dad talked to a game warden. And the, and the game warden, he's like, I've, I have been everywhere in Idaho. I've spent a lifetime studying the animals here. He's like, I was in a certain area of the Frank Church wilderness all alone. One night, he's like, I heard these noises. There's nothing else in nature on earth that, will make, that can make this noise. Nothing has the lung capacity. Nothing has these kind of vocalizations. He said it was like a squall, a ball, and a scream all at, all together at once. He's like, I've heard bears. I've heard cougars. I've heard everything. I've yeah. heard elk, whatever. He's like, this was like nothing else. He's like, the only thing I can think of is a Bigfoot. Dang, man. Yeah. My best Bigfoot story was not something that happened in the woods. It actually happened in Linwood, Washington. And uh, I got invited to a company a company barbecue me and my wife went we got all dressed up early in the industry suit and tie turns out it really wasn't a company barbecue but it was the annual barbecue for the bigfoot research organization oh and uh and so me and my (laughs) wife show up and there's like 35 like a legit old dude the the i forget his name um the guy that filmed that's that's all all famous for filming bigfoot back in the 70s bob gimlin the guy that Um, made it up yeah yeah the guy that faked it well (laughs) And so we sat there for three or four hours hearing stories, hanging out with Bob Gimlin about Bigfoot encounters. And I mean, it's uh, these guys are like full on believers. There's you could not convince them that it isn't even just like maybe possibly not real. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's some crazy stories out there. People, people get into some weird, some weird shit. But yeah, and I feel like those people, they're fake as f. I mean, listen. The funny part about the whole Bigfoot thing, the people on TV that you see who are searching for Bigfoot, they're the most slap-ass looking guys. You, they're not. They're not going to find Bigfoot. They're not. They're not going to find anything, right? They take these university professors. I've watched these film, these you know documentaries. Where we're looking for Bigfoot, and they go out and they're making tons and tons of noise, and they're doing all this shit, and it's like. These guys aren't going to find anything. They're not going to see a deer. They're not going to see a Bigfoot. They're not going to see anything. They're they're going about it all wrong. I think if they were going to actually, somebody were going to find them and study them, you'd have to be, you know, pretty discreet because they don't want to be found. That's They all say that they that you can't find Bigfoot. The Bigfoot finds you. Right. Yeah. Right. Can't believe we're talking about Bigfoot. But <laughs> everybody's going to say, man, that Dirk, he's a weird son of a bitch because he thinks he believes in Bigfoot. No, I don't 100 believe in it, but yeah. I don't. I don't discount anything. I don't. I think if you spend as much time in the woods as you have, I think you understand the possibilities. Right. And that's why I can't flat out say I don't like I. 
I can't say that I would be uh, a believer or somebody who would conspire, but uh, man, you can't. I just don't think you can rule out anything. Let's talk about the time you've been the most scared in the woods because I do talk at these camps about man, you can't be afraid of the dark. Oh, yeah. Man, that's a you, thing. It is. It really affects your ability to hunt. Some of the most magical times. Most people I've talked to, if they're in deep, three to five, seven, ten miles, even on a day hunt, they're thinking about heading back somewhat in the daylight because they don't want to hike out the three, five, seven, ten miles to the truck in the dark. And I found at some point I just got comfortable with it. And I was like, look, Dan, do you want to kill an elk or not? I want to kill one. Well, then you need to get comfortable with hiking out in the dark and stay till you hunt until you can't do it legally anymore. And then you worry about hiking out. It took a while to get there, but it's just because I want to kill an elk so bad. But there's been times when I've been scared, but I'd love to hear your guys's maybe like close calls or just scared. And you're, you're going to admit it today on this podcast. I think, um, yeah, I've always kind of struggled with the scared in the dark thing a little bit. Uh, and I, I hear you in my brain now when it's, yeah, yeah, when it's calling me all kinds of names that are inappropriate, but, uh, you know, for me, being new up in North Idaho when with the predators up there, it's taken me three or four years to get comfortable. And and I do. I have to tell myself, like, there's nothing out here in the dark that wasn't here in the daylight. And and just try to, like, ground that irrational fear. Um, but I think, like, my biggest concern present day out there in the woods, getting that far back, is probably falling and breaking my leg or something getting stuck out there, breaking my leg, breaking an ankle, twisting an ankle by myself because I do a lot of stuff in some nasty country by myself. Yeah. Have you mitigated that with an inreach? Uh, not yet. So that that's the that's one of the biggest game changers yeah. for me was mitigating potential self-destructive injuries yeah. in the backcountry yeah. and knowing that, okay, it's going to cost some money, but I can get a helicopter here. I can hit this SOS button and... People can be notified and, you know, I might have to wait a while, but I got out. My, uh, the, the, probably one of the scariest moments in recent years, um, wasn't necessarily, I was scared for myself, but I was scared for the people I was with. Ooh. And, uh, I, I, I think it was 2016 Colorado backcountry uh, elk hunt and, um, took, uh, some, some clients I have mine and, uh, all summer I was like, Hey guys this is their first elk hunt. And, and so I'm just like, Hey, let's go have fun. We'll go elk hunt together, all that type of stuff. And got to get ready. Got to do some exercise and all. So these are big boys. They're like five, eight, two fifty, two sixty boys. Um, and I'd send, they'd send me pictures. I'm sitting in the recliners, all that. And so it was, it was, they, they weren't in the physical shape to, that they needed to be in, but we took them into a spot and you know, this is, we, we've all done it where we look at a, a topo map and we think, oh, this isn't too bad. And we start dropping down into this canyon. We spotted a good bull and he was across the canyon. I was like, okay, we can get down this canyon. We found a spot that looked decent. We start sliding down uh, and start going down this canyon and it turns into a slide and we're not stopping. And we're sliding down this canyon and I'm realizing as I'm dropping into this canyon, like there's, I can't stop myself from going down anymore. I'm just going and I, we can't get up this. We get down to the bottom in this bottom is a giant Creek bottom. They call it bear gulch. And, uh, there's a reason for it to be called bear gulch. It is, it makes North Idaho brush look like a prairie. Um, and the only way you can travel in the bottom of this canyon is these tunnels that bears have carved into the brush. 
And so we get dropped down into this thing. I'm with my client. He's a big old boy. He's already almost dead. And we get down there and it is, we're, we're on our hands and knees and we, there's no way we can get up the other side. Once we got down, we were able to see up the canyon and it was like two to 400 foot cliffs as far as we could see both directions. Yikes. And what we just came down, we couldn't come back up. And so I was just like, we just got to go up. We got to go up the canyon. And so we're working up this canyon on our hands and knees along this creek bottom in a, in a bare canopy covered trail. And it's just fresh bear shit after fresh bear shit. Bones scattered everywhere. Oh, my God. We bear both, tunnels. We, we both had our bows, no pistols, no bear spray. Nice. Nothing. Um, and we ended up getting out. Like, I, I, uh, I, I had to carry all my clients. He wasn't my, uh, he, not like a hunting client. He's just a, just a client of mine that we were hunting with. So, yeah. I don't, I'm not guiding. <laughs> so, but I had to carry all of his stuff up out of there. And Find I, him guides uh, in Colorado uh, legally, yeah, guys. Thank you, you for that one. In. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, so, no, but it was, it was like pushing him up cliffs, and I found a little crack that we were able to get up and out of. But it was the first time that I thought, like, cool, this is where we get to ride out on a helicopter. Right. Um, that's that's crazy. Yeah. And it happened quick. Like, I thought this was just going to be a normal day. And we spent, it took us six hours to go one mile. Yeah, one bad decision led to the dismay of the day. But you guys were able to salvage. Yeah. And know not to go in there. And sometimes when you're hunting out of state in new places, you learn the hard way of, okay, yeah, maybe there's an elk in there, but we don't go in there. It's just not worth it. And your time's better spent in other places. Dirk, I want to hear a story. So many years ago, I was hunting by myself. And it was a rainy old day, foggy, nasty, this big old canyon. And I'd hiked way down in there trying to hear bull's bugle. <clears throat> and I made it, I was kind of making a loop. I'd kind of got it, went as far down as I wanted to go. And I'm, now I'm starting to work my way up a ridge. And I'd hike the steep stuff and I'd get to a, a little flat spot, like a little bench, and I'd stop. And I'd bugle. So I'd stop, bugle, listen, and uh, not hear nothing. And okay, climb, climb, climb to the next bench, stop, bugle. And at first I didn't really notice it, but I could hear a noise off in the distance, but it was so faint I didn't really pay no attention to it. Kind of like when you hear ravens way off in yeah. the distance or something. It's just it's background noise. But as I'm climbing, pretty soon I, I notice it's getting closer. I'm like, it's getting louder. It's getting closer. I'm like, What's that? So and then I'm like really listening. I'm like, what the heck is that noise? It's, it's it sounds weird. It sounds kind of like a grumbling noise. I'm like, huh. So okay, and I just keep doing what I'm doing. I hike up the hill to the next bench, stop, get my breath, bugle, and now I can hear it better. And it's this weird ass noise. I've never heard nothing like it, but it's this weird noise. And it, the, the closest thing I could describe what the noise sounds like is if you were to take a, this is so dumb. If you were to take a chainsaw and put a big set of lips on the muffler. Okay. So every time you would try to start it, it would make a noise like, right? That's the closest thing I can A grouse on steroids, maybe? I don't know. And it's getting louder. It's coming up. I was like, what in the hell is that noise? So I'm like, I don't know. So I go up, I climb again, get to the next bench and I bugle. And pretty soon I'm like, I need to stop bugling. It's, it's coming. It's getting close. It's get, it's on the next bench below me. So I find a great big cedar tree, 
big old growth cedar tree, get my back, put my back against it. I'm like, well, here we go. Game uh, on. This is something weird's going to happen. So I take off my pack. I get my pistol out because, you know, a lot of times when I hunt by myself, I got a pistol. Just I'm not really scared of like getting attacked by stuff, but I feel like if I get hurt, I might want to have a pistol there to like fend off something while it's just going to come and eat me. Yep. So I got my pistol and I've got my back against the tree and I'm like, okay, here we go. And pretty soon, this is real. I hear brush popping and it's not make, it's not quiet. It's like snap, pop. It's breaking some serious brush and it's still making this noise. And I'm like, what in the hell? This is it. I look up in the sky. I'm just like, this is, this is where it goes down. This is, this is where I make my last stand. I wonder, I wonder if I, I wonder if if I don't make it, I wonder if people know what the hell happened. And pretty soon I can see something in 10 yards. It's brushy, North Idaho, brushy, nasty country. I see stuff. And it's about eight feet in the top, <laughs> eight feet tall, black, and it's moving. But eight feet behind it is black and moving. And the only thing, and I never did see, that's all I could see, just bits oh, and pieces no. in the brush. And all I, only thing I can think it was, was a moose. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But at first, like, like right before I seen that, I'm like, it's happening. It's it's go time. I'm gonna shoot some weird, I don't know, Bigfoot, uh, yep. a bear, a grizzly bear. I I don't know. I'm gonna shoot something. It's it's gonna it's coming right for me. And right before it got where I could see, it, it kind of veered off, and it kept on going straight up where I had to go, making oh, that stupid geez. noise. I'm like, it had to be a moose. But, and I've heard lots of moose, like. Yeah, tons of moose in, yeah. over the years in September, and they none of them made that weird noise. Does I have a cold or something? <laughs> I don't know, or maybe he was just madder than hell. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, I've had a lot of moose come in when I'm bugling. When I'm bugling elk, tons of elk, uh, tons of moose. You start hearing them crack off down over a ridge. There, they're like, oh, oh. Pretty soon, here they come. Them things will come right up, but they'll do the same thing. They'll almost show themselves, but they'll stay right in that brush, and then they kind of move on. But elk and moose don't like to cohabitate very good. Moose are moose are a holes. <laughs> I don't mess with them honestly. I'm afraid of female moose more than anything yeah. with calves. Like, oh, they yeah. scare the crap out of me. Well, I was when I was 21. I was very new to bow hunting. I'd only killed a whitetail buck with a bow um, with my first Martin bow, and I'd bought. I went and upgraded. Went to Josh Jones's archery shop. Nineteen been there forever. Years, Nineteen years ago. And he was just a punk then as well. And uh, <laughs> bought, bought a Hoyt from him. And uh, I don't know how or why, but I thought, yeah, I think I should go to Alaska and hunt caribou. I mean, I can hunt him at the end of July, early August. And I think I'll go by myself. So I contracted a, with a pilot who does drop-off hunts. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can hunt the Malchat in a herd. He'll be great. And he just dropped me off in the middle of nowhere. Gave me a radio and said, if you ever see me, I'll fly over and check on you every other day. I got some other hunters. Turn your radio on if you see my plane. We can, I can, you know, whatever. Long story short is I killed a caribou by my, that was the first, like, you know, besides a whitetail buck, that was my second kill with a bow. And I shot him, man, I shot him at like 50 yards with a expandable, like a uh, oh, an NAP expandable. Oh, yeah. Remember those? Oh, yeah. 
And uh, I remember when I shot him, I, I had tried, I had messed up so many caribou, but luckily it didn't ever really get dark. So I'd be hunting, honestly, like literally 20 hours a day <laughs> because I just wore myself out chasing uh, caribou. And uh, back in those days, I had a, a, a Garmin Rhino GPS. Oh, yeah. And so I just had base camp marked and I would just know to get a heading if I ever, because you go way out there looking for a caribou, try to get in front of caribou, move on. You get five, 10 miles away from base camp and just look at your Garmin and be like, all right, I got to kind of head northeast. All right. And you'd make it back. Uh, so I killed him. I remember shooting him broadside at 50 and I thought I'd miss. I didn't know that my arrow just blew through him. I just saw my arrow go past him and go bouncing off rocks. And uh, I was like, oh, I missed, man. And that was my first shot opportunity. I went over there to get my arrow. And when I found it, it was covered in blood. I was like, oh, I shot through, you know, shot through him, got him. Well, the pilot came and picked me up a couple, I think maybe the next day. And uh, he actually brought me a hot pizza and a cold beer. Wow. Whoa. And I wasn't 21 yet. What so I guy. thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, in fact, the next day was my 21st birthday, and he was like, hey, I'm going to take you over to this river. It might have been called the Igigik River or something like that. Don't quote me, but he's like, you can catch silvers all day. I'll come pick you up in the evening. It'll be like a one-day fishing trip solo. I was like, sweet, and I'm not much into fishing, but, dude, I had a blast. I reeled in some giant silvers, and I was in bear country, man. Like There was bear crap everywhere. There was dead fish on the side of the banks. There was bear tracks everywhere, and, he, and I had a 44 mag, and he was like, be careful. There's a lot of bears in here. Um, you know, he's, You'll be fine. Just keep your head on a swivel. I never saw a bear, but it started getting kind of dark towards the end of the day, like, you know, the 20th hour, and he was supposed to pick me up several hours ago, and I was like, I had packed a tent just in case, and I start putting my tent together. I realized he ain't picking me up, and there's bears everywhere, and when I got in my tent, I could not fall asleep. I just thought for sure a bear was going to eat me, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. like a burrito in a sleeping bag, and I was so scared, I couldn't sleep, and I was so happy to see some sort of daylight and I was only four hours of darkness, but those were scary four hours for me where I was truly afraid. And I remember that fear. And um, looking back, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, oh, I'm just going to go to Alaska and hunt caribou by myself. That was kind of just being naive. Right, right. But I'm super thankful for that experience because it was like, man, like if I can hunt in Alaska by myself, I can go hunt North Idaho jungle brush. Right. I'll be all right. And so that kind of was like... I kind of was forced into being comfortable with being by yourself and being in the dark by yourself. Um, I still don't like hunting in grizzly country too much. Um, I kind of avoid grizzly areas for the most part. I still hunt a few in Montana. Uh, I've hunted a few in Wyoming. I've seen grizzlies in both states while elk hunting. Uh, I just prefer not to run into G-bear sows. Like they do, I got a lot of like healthy fear and respect for those animals. Uh, but when it comes to black bears and stuff, I have an unhealthy lack of fear. You know what I mean? I've just oh, yeah. tried to Me get too. so close to them for so many years and kill so many. It's just like... Have you ever had one mess up your camp? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've I've been in the woods camping my entire life. I've never had one come in. And I don't I don't take bear precautions. We screwed in. up. We set a spike camp up a couple of years ago. My dad and I did in Idaho. And we we had it pretty dope. It was a nice setup. And when we got to it, we came to it one day, we got weather and we're like, we got a spike camp two miles away. Let's just go to spike camp, make a warm meal. We got food stashed there. We got a cash, have a hot meal, take a nap and ride out this storm. And when we got there, the sow and her cubs were 
already in our camp. And <laughs> the tent was flat and everything was yard sale and everything that we owned had been chewed on. And I remember I ran at that sow and she ran off and one of the cubs went up the tree and it was everything in me not to shoot that thing because they chewed up a Reinhardt 18 and one. That's not mm. a cheap target. They just chewed it all the way up into pieces oh, for no good reason. chewing that stuff. Yeah. Every bottle of water had bare teeth, bite marks in it, and <laughs> was leaking water. My white gas, all my white gas, I had like four cans. They bit into all those, so we had no gas. Uh, they chewed up my tent. It was an Easton tent that they don't even make anymore called the Kilo. It weighed 2.2 pounds. It was an awesome two-person. That thing was gone. Both our pads, sleeping bag. Like they, they had, like, they screwed up everything. And so... You know, I noted that. Yeah. But yeah, I've you, had you've been, you've been getting some payback over the yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some payback with redemption. But yeah, man, you can't you can't leave a spike camp unattended in that thick bear country. Yeah. And that's actually happened twice. So yeah, man, it's just. Can't have you had it. bears ruin your camps or I never have. Camps? Never have. Uh, been lucky that way. I did have a uh, bear steal a quarter of an elk one time. Like a black bear? Yep. I, I think, I guess. Yeah. Um, never saw him, but um, took three days to pack this elk. I was flying solo. Uh, and on the third day, went back. I had two front shoulders and the neck meat to pack out. I was going to one trip it. And I get there. I'm like, and I just, before I got to the to the meat hanging in the tree, I started seeing bear crap. I'm like, eh, that's not a good sign. Get closer, some more bear crap. I'm like, hmm, that wasn't here yesterday. I get down there, huh, one of my bags of meat's gone. So he took one one bag, had neck meat and uh, front shoulder in it. And then the other bag, he'd cut a hole in it like he'd used his, like he'd used his claw and just cut a hole in it and siphoned out some, uh, some more neck meat and took off with it. But I looked high and low just to see, eh, maybe just drug it down the hill. I couldn't find the bag, couldn't find nothing. I don't know where he took it to. But it was nasty country. But, uh, yeah, but that's the only only trouble I've ever had with bears. Um, hopefully, knock on wood, that's that's all the trouble I ever have. The only time I had a bear ever come into camp was intentional. We were logging up out of Medellin Falls, and we were bored. We drank all of our beer, and so we didn't know what else to do, so we decided to cook a bunch of bacon in camp. We had a camp trailer. <laughs> we cook up a pile of bacon, and uh, we think, okay, we're going to go hang this in a tree about 200 yards from camp and watch a bear come mess with it. So we take this can over there. We turn around, we're walking back. We're like, what the hell is that in our trailer? And we see <laughs> this black ass of a bear who was standing up in the inside of our camp trailer. And we ran over there. It was just like one of these little 100-pound problem bears. And... But that bear hung out for like five, six hours in camp. And we sat there. We started a campfire. We hung out. And this bear, I bet he did 30, 40 laps around us within 10 yards. And we were stupid. We didn't have a gun. We got some big old sticks. You know, we're 19 thinking we're tough. And we're like, yeah, you know, if this bear messes us, we're going to fight this bear. And uh, he never did. But we hit him with rocks and all kind of like big, like five-pound rocks. And this bear would just stand up on his back legs and bat him around like it's a ball. Huh. I, uh, but I uh, will say I did have a bear coming to camp one time. Uh, had elk camp is October elk camp. I had my family there, wife and kids and, uh, my, my labs, I had a, a yellow lab and a black lab at the time. Um, we'd be sitting around the fire and all of a sudden they'd put their heads up and they just tear off out in the brush barking and something would run off. This happened every night. Well, the next day, finally I got there, got to camp and his little light out. And I go, I'm like, what the heck are they, you know, messing with over there? And I look. And somebody had been using that camping spot uh, for bear baiting, and they had one of those great big five-gallon jugs of bear grease. Which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> right, right. And it was just sitting like 
up in the brush, like 15 yards from camp. That that bear, and I've seen the tracks, it's just a little bear, uh, like a 100-pounder. But it had been coming down there every night, creeping down there every night to lick lick the grease out of this yep. bucket. And uh, so the, la- the last time it came down, my yellow dog, uh, my yellow lab, Sadie, she was, she was pretty fearless. And uh, I'm like, get him, Sadie. And she took off, and she started barking and followed. Pretty soon I couldn't hear her no more. I'm like, mm. oh, great. Uh-oh. I should probably let her make her come back. It's dark. It's nighttime, you know, nine o'clock at night. So I start walk up the hill. Sadie, Sadie. Finally, she comes back. But we didn't have any trouble with the little bear after that. But Yeah. <laughs> but that's weird because I'd be gone all day, you know, wife and my kids were little, you know, five and six years old, maybe, maybe. And that bear could have came in and grabbed one of them like nothing, you know, with the wife there. Besides that mega giant bear that our cougar that you just shot with your bow, Holy which we're going to talk about in a second, how many cougars have you actually seen while hunting? Actually hunting? Zero. Or just out in the wild, I Ac- guess. Yeah, actually zero You've while hunting. You've never seen one? Not one while I'm walking around. I've Only cats I've seen have been, they've ran across the road. I've probably Isn't that seen- insane for someone like you who's hunted and been out in the outdoors their entire life? You're 40-something years old. You've, only, you've never seen one. But how many have you walked by? Oh, <laughs> tons uh, tons here's one i have i don't know if i was scared but i was feeling weirdly kind of uneasy one night shot this bull the last hour of, of the day worked in, way into the wee hours to break him down get him you know hung in a tree packing out i come up out of the rhubarb hit the trail start walking along and all of a sudden I just feel weird. So weird. Something ain't right. Something's looking at me. My, I've always heard people say, Oh, I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up and I knew something was wrong. I'd never had that feeling really to speak of, uh, besides listening to some old Leonard Skinner tapes. (laughs) (laughs) Nine year got goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, anyway, I'm walking walking along there and I, I, all of a sudden I'm like, what the f is going on? I just like got this weird, weird feeling. Like yeah. something, something's right behind me. Something is following me. And I turn around with my headlamp, and I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm like, that's Bigfoot. And I'm done. Yeah, it's it Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. Sam Squatch. So I started double timing it back to you know I wasn't running, but I was like, man, I get the hell out of here. I don't know what if there's a wolf trailing me, if there's a cougar following along behind because I got I got hundred pounds of meat on my back, and I don't know what the hell's going on here. But uh, I never. Never seen a thing. Never see tracks following me. But something yeah. wasn't right. For sure. I think that's that primal man intuition, premonition, something, yeah. something gut. Yeah. Like, I have no doubt yeah. that yeah. that's what exactly what was going on. Have you? Oh, yeah. Uh, hunting, I've seen one in the woods and I think three driving. Um, but no, that exact feeling. I got. I had that same thing. I killed that cow by myself uh, up north Idaho couple, last year, year before that, um, and it slid off the mountain and slid down into this gully. And I had about a six foot gully to process this thing up, and the banks were about ten feet over my head. Oh yeah. And I'm down there. It's dark. I'm by myself. I'm in thick wolf grizz mountain lion country. And the whole time I'm cutting on this thing and I'm just looking up over my shoulders the whole time and the hair, intuition, whatever you want to call it, it, it was going off the chart. And uh, I, uh, I tend to, when that happens, when I get in those moments, I turn on heavy metal music on my phone and blast it as loud as I can. And I just think, you, you know go. what? <laughs> the little tooth grinder doesn't scare these tooth things grinder. off. Tooth <laughs> grinder. Yeah. Uh, so. We saw 
I first started seeing cougars when I was turkey hunting uh, in my early 20s up north north of Spokane there. I was in Stevens County area, and there was just a stash of cats, and I saw probably three, and I think I saw the mom and her two different cubs all at different times trying to hunt the same turkeys as me. And so that was kind of cool to yeah. see turkeys in the or really cats cool. in the real life. And then I remember in 2008, I went – to Nevada to film my buddy Kenton. He had a uh, mule deer tag and we, we got there and I was like, Hey man, I'm going to go look off that cliffed out rock pile way over there. You go over there. We'll just do inventory tonight. And I, when I was hiking up there, I was like, man, I don't think anyone's ever really hiked up this. This is pretty sketch, but the vantage was undeniable. And I get up there and I look down and there's a cat just sleeping in the sun. Really? And I had a camera and I was like trying to go get my backpack out and get my little Sony camera out. And I got it turned on just as the cat stood up and looked at me and I filmed it probably 10 yards away. And it just looked at me and then just kind of scurried off and I got it all on camera. And that was cool to kind of capture. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's uh, but it was special. just that sun. And, and then I've seen, um, I heard, I've heard a mountain lion trying to kill a, a cow elk at my cabin in Idaho. That was two years ago, and that was pretty gnarly. I told you that story, Dirk. The cow was barking probably 70 times in a row, and all the elk on the hill were looking down, freaked out, and then I heard the mount, like the classic sound of a mountain lion, which I hate to, to do, but it was like, row, row, row. Kind of like touchdown cougars. Touchdown Washington State cougars. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um and then I've seen, oh, and then I was in like Owyhees in uh, in southern Idaho. South of Boise. And, yeah, south of Boise hunting antelope. And I was perched on a lookout and I was watching these antelope. And then all of a sudden I see this cougar come out of nowhere and start chasing an antelope. And you guys know how fast antelope are. Oh, yeah. This mountain lion dude ran at this thing for like, I don't know probably at least a minute of both of them going full out and he almost closed the deal wow. on this antelope but didn't and i was like that was awesome he didn't get it but he tried um and then I obviously i saw the mountain lion that i killed with dogs and that was an incredible experience i wish i had my own dogs i wish i was part of that houndsman culture i would love to just tree cats that's so fun. And do that. Catch cats, man, with dogs. I think that's so cool. Tell us about your first and only ever giant North Idaho mountain lion you just smoked. It's crazy. Uh, <clears throat> I was I was kind of felt like I'm probably never going to get one, you know, uh, before this hunt. Oh, um, yeah. Because, I know the feeling. Because I'm like, like you know, it's, it's just such a random occurrence to where you are looking in the right direction and you see a mountain lion, you have a gun or a bow and you're able to to take the animal and uh where i grew up you know the orfino idaho area there was tons of houndsmen pre-wolf days and you, you knew a lot get to know a lot of people and and at some point i'm like ah one of these days i'll probably get out with somebody and i'll get a cat yep everybody did it was you know there was a lot of there was tons of cougars there was lots of game but uh then the wolves came along and man, that just, a lot of guys just like, they sold their dogs. They just got out of it because wolves are hell on hound dogs because they'll turn loose on a cat or whatever. And the wolves hear that and they're like, whoa, there's other canines in our territory. Yep. So they'll immediately swarm to those hound dogs and they'll kill them. They tear them apart. They eat them. It's, it's gruesome. If you want to, if you guys want to look this up online there, it's, it's gruesome. It's not for the weak stomach, but wolves will, will eat 
almost everything on a dog besides the spine and the head. Yep. Sometimes they just rip them open with guts. Um, it, it's brutal. So anyway, a lot of these houndsmen who love their dogs, they're just like, I'm out. I got to get out of this. I can't do this anymore. Yep. So uh, hound hunting took a big turn and <clears throat> our cat population took a big turn too, because I think uh, somebody was telling me the other day that these, the wolves, I believe what you're about to say, by the way, the, I believe it a hundred The wolves will trail around trail cats and they'll find their kills, run them off the kill and then eat their food. And then the cats will get smart and adapt and they'll start making kills to get the wolves off their ass. How do we train cats to kill wolves? I don't know. Well, wolf on cat. I watched, I thought it was this thing on Discovery Channel. Wolf on cat. A cat would win, hands down. Cat should win. Like, like hands down. But the problem is, strength uh, like numbers. They, they even did like, it was, it was so cool because they did like comparison, like the bite. Like, it was like a boxing match. Like, this guy weighs 110 pounds and does this, that, and the other yep. thing. Well, they had the, the, the statistics on cats, their bite, their reach, their, their stuff, and, and wolves and what they can bite and all this. The cat. Versus one wolf, cat wins every time. Yep. But the wolf has a buddy or three. So as they're fighting. Or nine. Or nine. <laughs> and the other ones come in and blindside it and they just, it's not a, it's not a good deal. So in cats in general, they're scared, scared of dogs anyway. Yep. But anyway, that kind of got on, on a tangent there. Um, so I kind of figured I'm probably never going to get a cougar. You know, I thought, well, I'd love to someday. They're such a cool animal which needs to be managed, you know, we, if their population gets too far out of hand, you know, all of our other animals start suffering, the deer, the elk, um, moose, whatever they start, their population starts to suffer too. So as man, we have to, we have to manage their numbers. So that's why it's important to hunt, uh, cougars or mountain lions. So anyway, this opportunity just kind of fell out of the sky. Uh, this guy named Bradley Dammerman, who's a, a who's an outfitter, he's got a um, an outfitting business. They guide for deer, elk, bears, cats, turkeys, and uh, he'd watched some of my videos. Yep. And he's like, you know what? That guy looks like a pretty cool guy. I want him to come up and just go hunting with me. So I said, well, what's going to cost? No me? one's ever done that for me, Jeff. Has anyone ever just said, oh, you look cool? Come hunt mountain lions with me. Mm, me either. I I'm think not. he was in for a rude awakening when I got there, but <laughs> I doubt <No>. it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I said, "Well, man, how how much does it cost?" He's like, "Nothing. I don't. I don't. Not a thing. I just want to take you out as as a guest and a friend, and I want to. I want to get you a cat." And I'm like, "Well, sign me up. <laughs> when can I come? You you tell me everything, and what what do I need to do?" <laughs> so uh got my hound hunter permit made sure i got my sportsman's pack had all my tags and stuff and uh, we went hound hunting and uh about a month before i was supposed to go he's like well um we're gonna kind of watch watch the weather he's like if we don't get some snow you may want to pump the brakes and come back come at another time because it hadn't snowed in a long time and all the, the snow that was there was melted. And there was some of that was, that was still there was pretty hard and crusty. He said up high, it's, there's some good snow, but there's no game up there. So cougars, they're after deer and elk, right? There's no deer and elk living up high in four feet of snow where the snow's still good. Bobcats are up there eating rabbits like crazy, but the cats, the big cats aren't up there. So 
Um, I told him my schedule. I said, well, here's what I got. I got elk shape camp here coming in February. These dates, uh, I do have, uh, uh, in the middle of February, I got a date or that last week of January that we plan on. I said, we can do it then. I said, you, you make the decision, you know, best. And he's like, well, why don't you come up? We'll try for a bobcat. Um, maybe probably get, be able to get a bobcat for you. And, uh, he's like, if we can't find a cat, just come back and you know middle of the month or something we'll we'll go again i'm like okay great so get up there he's got these cool cabins set up for his clients and stuff he's like yeah just stay out in the cabins and so uh jade uh helmick from the full draw film tour he came along to video and me and jade bunked up in one of the cabins and and uh we had our own we made our own breakfast and lunch and uh bradley's wife brought us dinner every night which she's an amazing cook and um so anyway we'd get up well, before first light, you know, we were up at 4.30 every morning. We'd uh, jump in the truck, drive a ways, unload snowmobiles, and then spend all day on a snowmobile looking for these tracks. And um, you have some serious seat time. This isn't just like you just drive out and just shoot one. I mean, there, we spent the whole fir- first day looking. I mean, we found tracks, you know, but if... Cats don't have a lot of scent. They're not like a bear. Bear ha- bears have tons of scent, but cats don't have a lot of scent. And if it's if it's more than a day old, especially bobcats, you're not the there's not enough scent there. And the dogs, so we'd find a big old bobcat and be like, all right, he'd he get out his uh, his favorite dog. She'd get on there. Come on, babe. He'd say, sniff, sniff, sniff. She'd go right and put her nose right, like just bury it in the track. Sniff, sniff next track sniff 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 each little track just bury your nose in each track and then she'd look up at him like i got nothing yep. so okay get back in so finally all of a sudden he found one. He's like oh man this one looks really fresh and and uh she got out and sniff 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 and he grabbed old tom this other uh dog he's got in there he come out and they sniffed around pretty soon he's like if they bark it's on one of them bark goes Burf! that means their scent. Yep. And boy, they go up the hill. Then he let out his three-legged dog, old Gatlin gun, right? Dude. <laughs> He's got this three-legged dog. It's a, a plot hound, if anyone knows I about know. hounds. I know. Plots, which, yep. Yeah, I don't know a thing about them, but uh, a plot hound, it's real- So two walkers and a plot, probably? Um, I don't know what kind of the okay. other ones were. They mostly like kind of black with brownish, tri- reddish-brown trim. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to make fun of me for that reddish-brown trim, but anyway- You're not a houndsman yet. But, uh, but old, old, uh, Gatlin gun, he jumps out. He got in a fight, uh, a bear fight the previous spring and bear got him and messed his leg up real bad. So he took him over to WSU. Uh, they have a, this amazing veterinary yeah, they do. Uh, clinic there, the Washington state university He's like, what are we looking at? And they're like, well, we can try to save it. It's going to cost you about 12,000 bucks. And they're like, I don't know if it's going to, it'll take or not. It's a big, if he's like, well, that's a lot of money for a big if he's like, what else can you do? They're like, well, he can, he can be fine with three legs. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll cut it off and, and sew him up and make him good with, with three legs. And they're like, okay, let's do it. He's, and he's like, oh, you know, and he really liked that dog anyway. He's a really good dog and yep. had a big attachment to that dog. He's like, it's okay. He'll come back home and just be a house dog. He'll hang out on the porch and, you know, he'll live his life out back at home. So. He healed up all through summer. Come cat season, he'd load up all the other dogs, and old Gatlin gun, gun was just going crazy. He wanted to go. Yep. And after about three times, he's like, 
okay, come on. He let him go. And nice. that dog, that dog was the first one to the tree on that bobcat. <laughs> he caught the other dogs and went past him and was the first one on the tree on that bobcat. Cause they got these GPS tracking collars oh, yeah. so they can see what each dog's doing. Yeah. That, that old Gatlin gun, he was the first to the tree. So needless to say, old Bradley was just tickled pink and so proud of his boy. But, uh, so shot this beautiful bobcat with my bow out of the tree and, uh, that, that was pretty much day two. So day one was just looking, we seen some old cougar tracks, some older bobcat tracks, but on day two, I finally got, got on that bobcat and got him. And then, um, next day we're up and at it again. Oh yeah. Hitting it hard. And Bradley, he's got this network of friends. So he's grown up in the area his whole life. You know, he's been hound hunting since he's 11 years old, doing, doing it on his own. Kind of reminds me of like me and elk hunting or just hunting in general. I'd go out on my own all the time as a kid. His mom and dad, they'd, they'd let him go out on his own. He's like 11 years old. He'd jump on a snowmobile with a couple dogs and ride around and try to catch cats, right? Dude, that's legendary. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's, yeah, he's spent his whole life dedicated to this. So, and then he knows everybody around. So he's got a network of friends and, and you know, some people have time off from work and they're just like, well, heck, I'll, I'll go run around and look for cat tracks. So his buddy, his name, Tim, well, come to find out, I know Tim from meeting him a few summers before I was scouting elk. He was scouting for a uh, mountain goat tag. Okay. And I met him and his buddy, Neil, up in the backcountry of Idaho. Yeah, and I know exactly where you guys were. And we're, we're, we were BSing and... Uh, nicest guy you ever meet turns out tim is the one looking for tracks too he says hey i got a tom track over Ooh. here so and so they measure the stride right and it's got to be what 36 plus so a female will measure toe to toe on the same 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 legs same side legs uh 36 inches or under mostly under right right but a tom will always be bigger than that unless it's an immature tom or right something. so you're looking for something in the 40s yeah you want something in the 40s well this one was 47 he said, oh, I yeah. got a giant Tom over here. You guys got to get down here. So we pull up. We were up on a mountain somewhere else. We turn around, come down, reload, beat feet over there. <clears throat> we get there, and there's Tim. And he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry, guys. What's up? He's like, well, there's some blood in the snow here. I didn't see because I was here. I unloaded my, my – uh, he had a four-wheeler with tracks. I lo- unloaded in the dark, and I didn't see it. He's like, man, I hope somebody else didn't get this cat because the tracks were a couple days old. But a lot of times cats will, if, especially if they have a kill, they'll, they'll stay in that little area. You know, they might make some big loops if they don't have a kill, you know, make a few mile loops. Yep. But if they have a kill in an area, they won't leave that area too far typically uh, from what I'm told. So you find a pretty pretty fresh track within a few days old it's like well you you scour the area that yep. cat's probably going to turn up somewhere else and you can kind of figure out where he's at so so we get down there and, and uh yeah it turns out somebody else already shot that cat big old tom so we're like okay that's all right so we go back to another area and tim's like i'm gonna go over here and another buddy was looking at over here and you know, he's got all these buddies that that's just what they do. You know, whether they're, wolf, they're, they're combination, they're looking for cat tracks and they're wolf hunting. They're looking for wolves. God bless them. They spend a lot of time in the woods. So <clears throat> we get same story. We're over in a complete different spot up on top of mountain. And uh, Jade has his inReach turned on and he gets a message from Tim says, Hey, got another cat track. 
where are you at? So he tells us, he's like, is it fresh? He's like, pretty fresh and it's big. So it was, it was about 46 inch stride on that one, which to like find two big, that's insane. That's, that's two big yeah. cats in the same week. That that's kind of crazy. And they weren't, I mean, it was the same country, but as far as like the amount of country a cat will rove, that's yeah. still pretty kind of crazy. Right. So we pull up stakes and get over there. We don't get there till about two o'clock in the afternoon. We get there and Bradley's like, yeah, it looks like it's a little bit old, but it's still not too old. But he's like, I don't know. Let's see what the dogs will do. So he got the dogs out and they're sniffing. And in this spot, there was a little bit of snow on the road. But once you got off the road, it's super patchy, like six or eight feet, you know, linear feet of snow and then tons of dry ground. So he grabbed them. Sniff, 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 sniff. Come on, dogs. And he kind of walked around and circled and zigzagged. Pretty soon, they barked. <clears throat> so, away they go. And Dirk got excited. I'm like, that's a good thing. They're like, yeah, that's a pretty good thing. But they weren't barking all the time. He said, when they're on a hot track, they will like bark. They will bark barks every breath. Yeah. Every bark is, every breath is a bark. This time, they're just like, And those Whoa. GPS trackers tell you their barks per minute, right? <clears throat> I'm not sure. The guy I went with had a bark per oh. minute measure, oh, measure wow. and that's how we knew oh. when a cat was treed. Yeah, that's which cool. Which is, cr- I just was like, all new to me. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So Bradley's like, you guys stay here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some cold tracking. So they go down, you know, and he's like, come on, dogs, and let's go this way and that way. And he talks to them dogs like they're his kids, you know. Um, you can hear a lot of love in his voice, but he's also stern, you know. He, had, you know, they yep. listen. They listen. It's like, it's like watching a dad take care of his kids at the park or something yeah so he's like come on let's go this way and oh good job babe you know and they wander around and pretty soon we can't hardly hear him but every now and then we'll hear a and they'll bark a little bit and pretty soon he made a great big loop come right back up to the road we're sitting on and finding hits another track where it had it looked like it had looped made a big loop okay and down over the hill on this side it goes he goes down in there and this time, once they cross the road, there's a little bit more snow, and now they're getting a little, they're barking a lot more. This might happen. So they get down there. There's and it's in this pretty good creek drainage. The the creek's big, like a like a small river. It's deep. It's running pretty hard right now. And we're like, man, I wonder if we get down there and jump that cat running across the river. So they're down in there, and he's following them every step of the way. They're just you know this way, that way, and you can hear him barking down there. Finally, it's getting late enough. It's like, all right, well. It's time to come back. So he's like, it's too late. I'm not going to chase anymore tonight. It's not hot enough track. Yep. But I think that cat's probably around here somewhere close. He's probably got a kill or something. Mm -hmm. Yep. So next day, Tim says, hey, fresh track. About a quarter mile up the road from where we, where he crossed in and he crossed last night. So it was the night before track. So we get there and turn loose and it's a pretty good snowy spot. So. Finally, turns loose all the dogs. They go down over the hill, and it's we're listening, listening. He's looking, and and a houndsman knows what the dogs are kind of knows what the dogs are saying. They bark certain ways at certain times, right? He's like, oh yeah, they're on it. He's like listening. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's listening to the way they bark. He's like, they're on, they're on that on that track. I'll be able to tell when they jump it because they really start when they jump that finally catch up to the cat and jump it you can really hear you know barking every breath and stuff he's like oh i think they jumped it and he's watching on the gps tracker and he's like oh you got two dogs across the the creek 
oh no, old Gatlin gun, you know, the three-legged dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's lagging behind. He's stuck on one side of the river and he's or the creek. And he's like, I was down there yesterday and I don't want that dog going across that water. It, he, he's going to get in trouble. He's like, and you could just see just the panic, the panic yep. wash across his face. He's like, oh man, I shouldn't have let him go. Oh, you see a regret. And all of a sudden he's like, whoop, he's on the other side of the creek too. <laughs> Dude, this dog probably awesome. did a few circles yeah. out there. <laughs> so the dog, they they go up the other side, and he's like, "They're treed, they're treed," because uh, they have their collars. You know, when they treed, I, I must have something to do with the 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 angle of their necks. You know, you know, yep. barking up the tree, and and it gives a little icon on his GPS tracker that says they're treed. He's like, "Let's go, we got to get over there." He's like, "Because there had been a big fresh lone wolf track." in that area been all over he's like we got to get over there yep make sure that wolf don't get on him so we had to haul ass and make a huge loop to get over did you have to wear snowshoes no because there was hardly any snow okay but we had to drive way over this way you know six or eight miles this way six or eight miles back the other way to to get over that because there was no getting across it for us it was too deep too deep that took time yeah so we get over there and as soon as we get out he jumps i like, i'm going to the tree guys catch up so he jumps out heads up to the tree Making sure the dogs are good. Yep. He's like, when you cut, he's like, there's a big group of us. So there was, there was probably four or five of us, you know, um, all the guys helping, looking and just going along yep. his buddies and stuff. And, uh, he's like, Hey, when you get close to the tree, he's like, don't be going, making a bunch of noise up there. Don't be talking. Yep. He's like, be quiet. He said, we don't want that cat to jump. We just, just let him sit in the tree. Just be quiet. Walk up quietly and, and we'll assess the situation and then we'll see if we're going to shoot or not. So get up there and. I have this vision in my mind, like, okay, I'm thinking of what this cat's going to look like in the tree. And I look up there and his tail, I don't know how long it was, but it looked long. I mean, super long, but I could just see that thing up there. I was like, holy shit, that's a big cat. Yeah. Wow. It was huge. How's it, how are those limbs supporting it? And, uh, you're just sitting up there, just kind of hanging out. And I, all I could see was its butt, right? So. The dogs are on the other side of the tree, so I kind of go over there. I want to see this cat's face. I look up there, and I get my binoculars out, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, man, he's not happy. That thing, if looks could kill, we'd all been dead. They do look pissed oh, off he when you was see just, them. He was just burning holes through us. It was like he was like, which one of you suckers am I going to kill first? That was, yep. that was his idea. That That's was the look on his face. I'm like, wow. Wow. So I'm like, all right. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Everything, you know, I had to tie all the dogs up. Um, because you don't want to shoot the thing and then have him jump out still alive and the dog ran over there and you, you have a dog fight and you dog get hurt. So he ties all the dogs up, everybody get in position. Um, got the camera guy, Jade, he's getting, getting all the angles, getting all the shots, getting ready. So he's like, hold your bow up there. So I make sure I'm in frame. So then I, he's like, okay, let's do it. So I draw my bow back and it was so steep straight up. He's about 20 feet in the air. So steep straight up, I was like, oh man, my I was afraid my arrow was gonna like come off the and fall back and fall back off of the arrow rest. And I'm like, That's oh steep. man. And I kinda when I noticed that I kind of double double pumped it a little bit, double clutched her a little bit. Yep. I was like, oh geez, what a what a rookie. And uh okay, okay, settle down, settle down. I I get on him and and uh, shooting steep uphill, I'm like, oh man, that's that's a tricky shot. I'm like, I hope I don't screw this up. Um but made a perfect shot, went in, took right through the boiler maker, and uh, arrow went all the way through, stuck him in the tree. So he jumps around the tree and does a does a big spin in the tree and runs around the tree and didn't fall out. 
And as soon as he did that, those dogs, they had kind of settled down. Yeah. Man, when he did that, those dogs just went on fire. Just <laughs> <laughs> They came back alive. And, and Bradley said, get him again. Shoot him again. I'm like, okay. So I had to reposition and had another, found another good angle and, and poked another good shot, super steep up underneath. But that one hit him perfect. And he flew out of that tree and hit the ground around about 50, about 50 yards and was done. Yeah. And then, they're tough. Yeah. The crazy part was as that thing's falling on the ground, Bradley is running to the tree, putting himself between the dogs and that cat. Yep. It, it missed him. It meant that cat missed hitting him by six feet. He was like on it. And he just like, he chased right after it. He's like, I don't want my dogs chasing a, chasing a wounded cat, you know, because that's a bad combination. Maybe, maybe there's an arrow sticking out of it. Maybe the cat's, you know, wounded and pissed off and kills the dog. You know, cats are, cats would, it's unbelievable the size of these cats and that any of us are here alive, right? <laughs> or those dogs, because if they just turn around, they would have. They could have killed any of those dogs in a, in in a split second. Yeah, one swipe. So it was just a ma- it, that cat weighed 160 pounds. Those dogs are about 40 pounds or less a piece. Yeah, that's the comparison. So we get down there and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is a giant!" And uh, Bradley's like, "Hey, help help me lift this thing up. We'll get some pictures. You know where you hold them under the under yep. the arms and stand up straight." And, and he's like, help me lift him. I'm like, help you lift it. You think you need help? Like, I didn't know. And he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's heavy. And so we got him and he got us some pictures. And then I, he's like, yeah, you do it. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, dead, 160 pounds, dead weight. Just dead like, weight and like pure that. lean stacked and, muscle. Oh, I was like, oh, we're going to take the picture. I couldn't, I couldn't hardly hold this thing. But um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty, pretty awesome experience. Um, do I want to shoot another one? I'm probably shoot another one if i if but if i never did i'm gonna be okay with it but i would love i would love to go along again just to watch the dogs work to see them in the tree um those guys he he he's an outfitter right and so he takes clients he only takes four clients a year he took me this was number five but i wasn't a client just one as a friend but he only kills four cats a year he wants to make sure it's a sustainable they don't kill females ever because they want to make sure it's sustainable. They're not trying they want to kill mature cats right. that are past their prime. Right. They're not trying to kill young ones. They're out there waiting to kill a big one and mature ones that are, you know, they've, they've already planted their seeds and, you know, they've, they've made all their marriage arrangements with the females in the area over the years <laughs> to make sure there's been lots of kittens. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. It's a, it's super sustainable and it's 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 really cool. And like the bobcats, I had no idea how many bobcats there were. I'm like, there's a pile. There, of them. There's bobcats, and it's crazy too. Bobcats, they're they're a really neat critter too. To know them, things are wandering around all the time. Like you never hardly see bobcats. I've seen a few, and yeah, they're they're Very abundant. They're abundant, but man, they're sneaky and stealthy. Yeah, you never see them, and they're such efficient killers. Like you know. To compare to how they kill the wolves, wolves strength in numbers, they'll exhaust animals. Wolves are super intelligent. A lot of times they'll end up killing animals slowly. Honestly, it's not like a, not a cougar. Cougars kill fast through suffocation or like penetration through the spine of their bite power, or they just hop on the end of the nozzle or their end of the nose of the uh, ungulate and choke it out, suffocate. But it's a fast death. Yeah. It's under a minute. 
Uh, their power is amazing. But let's talk about like, and we'll finish with this. Like, okay, 160 pound Tom. What does a 160 pound Tom need to sustain itself? And then people don't know this, but mountain lion is literally a delicacy. There, I mean, there was trappers back in the day that would trade up for mountain lion meat. Right. Like it's the it's at the top, and it's unlike anything else. I mean, it literally all it eats is meat. So its meat itself is is a different style of meat and comparable to something. So, what does it take to keep a mountain lion sustained? Uh, Bradley said a cat will take one at least one deer a week. They will eat at least one deer per week, and we saw lots of lion tracks different they weren't the same one the same line we saw lots of different tracks they just a lot of them weren't fresh enough to chase right. you know they were days old or whatever but uh there were way more mountain lions than i would have thought we would have seen tracks for number one especially met bobcats but it, yeah they'll eat at least one deer a week and he said a tom like that he's like that is a big cat he's like i guarantee you that thing's eaten elk adult elk it's it's big enough to take down a full-grown elk yep. so if you don't manage them pretty soon their numbers grow pretty soon the elk and deer numbers decrease to a point where it's not that's not sustainable they'll so eat themselves out of house and home they will they will i've seen that before in different areas you know a cattle come in i know a guy that uh, has four thousand acres and it's the deer all pile in there in the winter time, and they ran twelve cats in that little canyon, just a little small canyon. Twelve cats one winter, and it's like in that area. Who who would have ever even known or thought that that spot would have that many cats in it? So yeah, you definitely got to keep keep the numbers at check so they don't get out of hand. But no, but nobody's trying to kill them all. But they def- definitely do need managed. Yeah, that we want them on the landscape. Yeah, we want to see them. awesome animals. I want to. I want to see them. And more. Fish and Game wants them on the landscape, yeah, and that's why Fish and Game requires you to bring the animal in to their headquarters, yep. seal the hide. They can take some measurements. They can do whatever they need to do. Um, yeah, they take. A, they pull a tooth. They pull the same tooth out of every cat they check in. They want to know how old these things are. They you can tell a lot by the, the tooth. I think they can tell a lot by the cat's health and and their age and stuff by the tooth. They, so they they want to know. And that way, if they think they're killing too many cats in one area, they shut it down. There's a lot of areas that you're. They have a lot of limits. You know where you there's can't, quotas. There's quotas to where you're only allowed to take so many cats out of the area. So, but back on the meat thing. Like, yeah, it's, it sounds weird. It sounds gross. Some people be like, oh God, I'd never eat a cat, but it's, it's incredible. Um, that, that cat, like when we, after we skinned him out and we were cutting the meat off, um, he had back straps big as a really big it's the buck. The first thing I ate on mine. Unbelievable. First thing we, as a family cooked them up and it was like pork loin, literally the texture the look of the meat, it's a whiter meat. It's not bright red like a deer, like venison. So light colored, it cooks very similar to pork. And I made sure to give mine to a few friends that were interested in trying it so they could see for themselves, like, this is legit meat, like, for real. Um, and if anyone ever kills a mountain lion and needs a place to donate their meat, you can look me up. <laughs> yeah, me too. Good. Well, it's a hell of a cat, man. I mean... I have not killed a cat. I haven't got a cat treat. I've gone out a few times. I've looked at a lot of pictures. And you're not a you're not a small man. You're not a small man, and you barely got that cat off yeah. off the ground. Yeah, that thing. Was that heavy. thing is a tank. His girth, 
Oh. His girth around all his like limbs yeah. is what like I just can't believe how big his hindquarters were. Oh. The power those animals yeah. have. Yeah, you see pictures of cats and like like we were talking earlier. They usually look long and slender and you know sleek and physique. Yours looks like a slob. Yeah, he's thoroughbred. Yeah, he's it was bodybuilder. Incredible. Yep. I just feel fortunate enough to have that invitation to go. You yeah. know, it, yeah. It didn't really take a lot of. So, what's I, the name of the outfit? It's uh, Idaho Whitetail Guides. And they're out of what town? Beauville, Idaho. Look so, him up, guys. He can only take four. He probably books out a couple years in advance. So if you're, I know so many hunters that this is like a bucket list thing. And so if you are fiscally fit and you are saving for this ahead of time, it wouldn't hurt to put a down payment and to, to delay gratification over a three, four, five year period and make payments. And, you know, when your day comes enjoy every second. I certainly know that's how I felt on my hunt. I'm like, I'm so blessed to be able to do this. I've been dreaming of this hunt forever. I'll probably never get to do it again. And I soaked up the entire experience. Yeah. And you're going to be so glad that you have the footage. I mean, I had mine filmed and I can go back and relive that anytime. Yeah. So, are you going to do a full body mount? Oh yeah. 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 And it, it, it's funny. People, people get it, start beating on that drum about trophy hunters, trophy this, trophy that, you know, some people look at it like, oh, that's a real trophy. But to me, like when I hang elk horns or antlers, as some people call them on the wall or an elk head or a deer head, um, or this, or this mountain lion on the wall, they like, oh, you just hunted for a trophy. But honestly, I am, I am, uh, revering that animal. I am, I'm putting him up there to where I can look at him every single day and honor that thing's life. I mean, if it wouldn't have been for that thing, I mean, we, we would never have that experience. So I, it's not, I think people kind of get this weird poo poo on, on trophy hunting. I'm not doing it for the trophy. I'm doing it for the whole experience for the meat. And then, and then I have the, those tokens of something that's going to last forever that I can hand down to my kids or, or whatever, where I can, I can recall that and honor that animal the rest of, rest of my life. So it's, it's cool. And, uh, yeah, it, well, the crazy thing about those guys I hunted with, I my wife was like, "Well, what do you think they're going to be like?" What you, you always wonder, what are people going to be like? Because I didn't really know, I didn't know Bradley, and he's got his his uh, good buddy Tyrell that came along and was there every step of the way every day, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I've met some outfitter guys, and you know. It, they're just like everybody. You got some guys that are grumpy guys. Sometimes you got guys that are fun, but it was like getting back with old friends. It like we, there wasn't none of that weird, like awkward stuff. Like, Oh, uh, 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 so how's it going? Like, within <laughs> within 30 yeah. minutes, we were both laughing and we're all just laughing our heads off and just telling funny stories. And it, it was a kick. It was like literally like hunting with old friends. So mm-hmm. I had a great time. Cool. Guys, thanks for listening. It's, it's fun to share stories and kick it with these guys. We're at, we're in Texas. We're about to do an elk shape camp starting tomorrow, one of seven. And I got a pretty, I'm pretty l- lucky guy to have these guys with me. So thanks for listening. Um, I'll put some links into that outfitter so you guys can check that dude out. And uh, we'll uh, post a picture of uh, Dirk's little kitty cat. Thanks for listening. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Guys, thanks for listening. I hope you uh, enjoyed some of those stories and getting to know Dirk and and Jeff. Uh, I get to hang out with those guys at every camp. I consider myself a very lucky guy. I enjoy both these guys' company. Um, I, I wish you guys could see how much we make fun of Jeff 
at every camp, like behind the scenes. We literally, I don't even know why he's friends with me and Dirk. We like make fun of him because he's redheaded and we got nothing but love for him. We make fun of him because uh, sometimes he doesn't kill elk every year and, and we make fun of him for that. But honestly, he's one of the best dudes ever and Dirk is just a really good close friend of mine and just enjoy those guys and wanted to share uh, just what it's like when we hang out before camp. So come to an elk shape camp. We'll change your life for sure and make you better at elk hunting and better at fitness and all the stuff that we do. So very lucky to do this for for my job and very lucky to have you guys listening to this podcast. Thank you so much and uh, I appreciate it. Do me a favor, tell a friend about it and uh, we got some really good episodes coming up. Looking forward to dropping those. So keep working hard and name better elk hunting. Stay disciplined. Stay focused on your priorities. Make your family the number one priority next to faith and uh, engage with them. Fill up their bank accounts full of love. Uh, the off season's here, but there is no such thing. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.